0: It's time! All right, guys, you are here for the debut episode, episode one of Coach's Corner um, presented by MMA.com. I am your host, Joe McDonough. You can follow me on Twitter at, at Joe underscore McDonough six. I am joined today by a very special guest, the head honcho of the New England cartel, uh, the head honcho of top game management, one of the most respected guys in the fight game in New England and more, uh, Mr. Tyson Chartier. How are you? You Tyson.
1: I'm good, man. Thanks for having me on. I'm excited to do this uh, be the first first episode.
0: Absolutely. And and for the for the guests that don't know, and I don't know because it's the first episode. The way I will do this is it'll be five rounds, four 10-minute rounds, where we will talk about different topics. Uh, and the fifth round will be more hobbies. And every two weeks we'll have a new episode um, with a new coach, a new manager. In this case, a mixture of the of the two, which is awesome um and uh you know get their take on the landscape of the sport on their biggest prospects um on their newest prospects everything you know that we we tend to love at prospects.com. it's one of my favorite parts of covering this sport you know i've talked to ufc champions bellator champions but there's nothing like hearing a story from a prospect that's only 2-0 and um you know still on the regional scene and i'm tyson i'm sure you will agree
1: yeah the come up is uh just as exciting as the big moment so it's, it's cool to be know with those guys in the beginning and then see the you know the growth in their career
0: all right well let's start up round one round one will begin with uh you know some of your bigger clients the ufc talent um you know obviously you coach and manage guys like rob font mike rodriguez calvin cater um you know maurice green and more um you know rob font had some big news he's coming back after a lengthy uh you know injury um and and we can see him back against Marlon Marais in just a few months speak to us on that
1: yeah it's a big fight you know really rob and calvin are the two guys that you know i, I primarily coach and then other guys i help out and stuff but um yeah rob you know he tore his acl last year in that fight we were in simone and it's been a you know long road recovery but he's been diligent in his pt and and um listening so Yeah, we're excited. You know, him coming back, he's been ranked 9, 10 and 11 the whole year. It just keeps switching around. And for him to be able to come back against the number three guy, um, you know, we're excited about it. It's a big opportunity. You know, he's gotten to see some of his teammates make some, you know, get those big moments that we always ask for. And now he gets to go out there and uh, get a big moment of his own.
0: Absolutely. And, you know, I had spoken with both you and Rob after, um, you know, UFC Fight Island against Dan Ige um, with Calvin Cater. Um, And he had told me that actually, um, and I'm going to ask you about UFC Fight Island in a second, but it was actually the heat that bothered him more than the sleep schedule. He said the sleep schedule was fine. That's what everyone was talking about. But he said the heat, it was just um, hot as hell out there.
1: Yeah, I think we went out there with a plan for the sleep schedule ahead of time. So we kind of knew what to expect. Uh, From what I gather, it seems like a lot of people didn't go out there really with an idea of how they were going to do the sleep. We went out there with a plan ahead of time. So we just stuck to that. So after a day or two, that was our schedule. Uh, yeah, but the heat, man, 120 degrees, no matter how much water you drank, it wasn't enough, so, uh, and then add in, like, it was like, 85% humidity, so it was it was definitely a change from what we're used to, you know, Rob used to live in Florida, so he's used to humidity, but it was like Vegas heat at its worst with Florida humidity at its worst, and yeah, it was definitely, you know, something you had to, um, you can't, can't really prepare yourself for, you know.
0: Absolutely. And, and, you know, I've been in that Florida humidity. It is disgusting. Um, So, I mean, you know, when Rob's coming back, you guys had told me this timeline that, you know, and, and, and the fall early winter, um, you know, November, December was, was something that I heard a lot, Um, you know, was this his first offered fight um, or was it something that you had to talk to the UFC um, and and get the right opponent?
1: No, I mean, we were, we were asking for, you know, guys above us, you know, Rob fought down twice. He fought Peders and Simone. Um, he's won both those fights convincingly. I think he's earned the right to fight up, even coming off an injury. Um, so you know, the, it, and it doesn't make sense. It, it, I think a lot of it really comes down to Rob was looking for a fight. He's ranked, and uh, Marais wanted a quick turnaround. If you go down the list, where the highest ranked guy, or I guess you could say lowest ranked guy, that would make sense for him to fight, because everybody above us has either already fought him once or twice, or as a former teammate or is a current teammate or is already booked. So we are the fight that made the logical sense for, for and the UFC. Otherwise I don't think you're going to see him coming off a loss like the number 11 guy when he's sitting at number three pilots and bigger name. Um, but you know, that's, that's how you get opportunities like this, you know, timing's everything, you know, and, um, Rob's ready. He's, he's been getting better mentally this whole year and physically he's been following his PT schedules and all that. So, you know, we've had a couple stabs at the top five before where, you know, we're, you know, five, five, eight, when we, you know, we fought, uh, Lineker early in our career didn't go our way. And then we got a couple wins and we fought, uh, I think it was Munoz, didn't go our way. We got a couple wins and then we fought a Sun Salon, didn't go our way. Um, so, yeah, so we got a couple wins under our belt again. Now it's time to go back and, and try to slay that giant that's been evading us for the last few years. So, I think Rob's looking for that big top 10 win and now we get a chance to do it. Really, a top five win.
0: Absolutely. And, and you know, um, as a coach, too, you know, ring rust is always talked about. Some people say it's a, it's, it's, it's not real. Some people say it is, you know, how do you prepare uh, Rob mentally? Not that, you know, I think Rob is amazing professional and, and, you know, I know he's been training and training with guys like you and Calvin and other new England, you know, stars, but how do you kind of get his mindset right that he's going back in the cage for the first time since, you know, since this injury.
1: It's just about putting in the work, you know, you're only as confident as the work you put in during the camp and, um, you know, he's got some, you know, great coaches around him. You know, Jake Manini in the Muay Thai, Dupree in the wrestling, Sean Farley in the boxing. And, um, you know, Calvin's a big mentor to him in terms of the training schedule and being a good training partner. And, you know, he, he surrounds himself with good people and, and they make him confident going in. And, you know, there's no pretending that we haven't fought here. But if you look at Rob's fight against Ricky Simone, he did the same layoff. It was a year, 52, you know, 51 or 52 yeah. weeks since he had fought Sergio Pettis. So now we're just doing the same thing so now we just had a year of knowing that we're going to have that time off and and preparing for this moment so if any you know he's been in this before this is his third one-year layoff since he's been in the ufc um every single time he's come off the layoff he's performed amazingly you know you look how he did against ricky simone awesome knocked out joey gomez in the first round that can't get better than that or second round sorry um so he's had two-year layoffs you know two one-year layoffs before in his ufc career come back and and won convincingly. So it's not something we're worried about. We're not gonna pretend like it's not a a layoff, but I think more so it's just, you know, coming back from an injury, you know, it's his first major injury that he's had in his career. And, um, you know, we we got some of the best doctors, the best physical therapists, and um, the best team around him, assuring him that he's good to go. And you can see the confidence in his training. So we just keep reminding him that, you know, he's ranked in the top 15 for a reason. He's on a two fight win streak. And, you know, now this is kind of his, uh, his coming out party and we're gonna make a run.
0: Absolutely, and you know we're all looking forward to seeing that. Let's take it back to um, Calvin Cater. Um, so obviously two zero during twenty twenty um, during the quarantine on Fight Island. You know, probably the most active featherweight um, since COVID hit, um, and 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 fought down. Like you said, like Rob did, he fought Dan Ige, who was ranked you know um, higher than him, and um, w- with that, you know now that now that we've seen you know Max and Max and um, Volkanovski have fought. A beat was scheduled to fight that fell through. Um, Korean zombie versus Brian Ortega. some featherweights are coming back with that. What is next for Calvin Cater? A lot of people want to see that Max Holloway fight. I'm one of them. Um, you know, what can we expect is
1: next for Mac? Uh, for Calvin Cater, yeah. I mean, we like the Max fight, but a lot of, a lot of that ball's in his court on that one. Um, you know, we're healthy, we're ready to go, so we're just waiting for a date that he's ready to go. Um, I guess from the UFC's end, so you know, we don't have a lot of control over that. All we can control right now is just staying in the gym and training and being ready for the call. Um, yeah. Hopefully it is Max. Maybe it ends up not being Max. Then we'll kind of reevaluate and and see who we think it might be. But um I think he's earned the right to fight someone like Max. You know, he, he fought, uh, you know, he convincing went over Jeremy Stevens. Then, you know, he did the UFC a solid and fought down and, you know, uh, main event showed that he belongs to, as a headliner and, and performed against a guy on a six-fight win streak. And now I you know I think we get that chance to uh to fight up and you know kind of get like a contender fight. So, you know, the future's bright for Calvin. We just gotta be patient, focus on what we can control, and not not dwell on the things that we can't control because that's the easiest way to get discouraged. So right now he's come, you know, he's won two fights in a row, he's helping Rob get ready for his camp. You know, we've changed some things in his camp because we're trying to always evolve too. You know, he's trying to get better and there's some things he did wrong in those last couple fights that we're trying to rectify. And, you know, all we're trying to do is just, you know, make a stronger foundation underneath him so that whoever that name ends up being, you know, he's going to be ready.
0: Absolutely. And and when, when you get that call um, for Calvin to fight Dan Ige, who, who's obviously ranked, um, you know, above him, higher than him, lower than him, you know, I always get confused when I say that, <laughs> ranks lower than him in the sense of, cater's ranked closer to the championship. Um, you know, and, and so when you get that call, is that something, when you bring up to Calvin, is that something that you are pushing? Is that something Calvin said, you know what? I just want to get back in there. Is that something you both agreed upon where it's like, let's get back in there and then we can get a higher ranked guy.
1: No, it's just really, you have to go by, you know, what feels right. And a lot of times it's a gut instinct. You can't say this is how you progress a career because every career is different. Every, every situation has different nuances and, and various, um, elements that you have to consider. So, um, you know, at the time, the Ige fight made sense. I think if, you know we were trying to stay busy. His goal was 3-0 in 2020. The COVID thing hit. Our first fight got delayed from March to April, then to May. And, you know, you got to kind of strike with the iron hot. You know, if we said no to that fight, who knows if we fought again yet. And, uh, you know, Calvin's trying to show the world that he's a title contender. And you don't do that by sitting around. You know, you see a lot of the top guys in the division in the top five, they've been pretty stale. Um, that's not Calvin's style. Calvin wants to stay busy, but he also wants to be smart with his career because the goal is to win a title. And, um, if we can climb the ladder while when, you know, making more money and changing his life for him and his family, that's a win-win. So I think if you lined up the top 15 back in June, after we beat Jeremy Stevens, if you lined up the top 15 and said, Hey, you know, if you had to fight one guy, who do you think match up the best with? I probably would have picked Dan again. He's a great fighter, but just styles make fights. And I thought we had a big advantage kind of all around in that fight. Um, so it, it made sense. And, you know, when I call Calvin and tell him about the opportunity, it's, you know, he has so much trust in me, which I respect. And, you know, it's it, it's awesome when a, a fighter, whether it be you as his manager, or you as his coach, has ultimate trust in in you and, and, you know, your decision-making. And all he said to me was, hey, if you think it's the move, let's do it. And um, so he kind of put it back on me and, you know, he's ready to fight whenever I tell him to fight. He's like, Tyson, you tell me this is a move, I'm ready to go. And the next day we started camp. So um, yeah, there's not a lot of pushback from Calvin. He, you know, there's ultimate trust and we keep our circle small and, you know, with that comes a little bit more face time with each other and and more trust and more of a brotherhood. And, you know, there was, you know, the the decision making process was pretty easy. It felt right to me. The money felt right. It was a good main event spot. He wanted to get that one back from November where he lost in the main event. He got to prove himself as a five-round headliner, get to go to Fight Island, you know, big increase in pay, and, you know, put himself on the map.
0: Absolutely. And that is the end to our round one. I Thank you, Tyson. Um, we'll head back to round two. So... Starting with round two, um, I want to you know jump into some other stuff, some you know scouting talent, the New England scene, um, you know prospects and signing talent as a manager. But one thing I do want to touch on with another UFC client is obviously what happened with Mike Rodriguez. Um, so you know that fight versus Ed Herman, essentially he gets a second round TKO, a second win in a row, a second TKO win in a row, um, and the referee doesn't see it that way he ends up getting finished in the third round I mean I know that you had tweeted out and you know I had talked to Mike after the fight that you were appealing it has anything happened with that um as of yet and I know that Dana White after the fight said that you know we're treating that as Mike Rodriguez right Mike Rodriguez win that has to feel pretty good with kind of the shitty situation that occurred
1: yeah I mean that's out of our control what the ref did and you know we put the appeal in and um they're kind of they're kind of leaning on it as like oh well the rest of the arbiter of the fight and he didn't choose to use replay so it's tough luck and you know we're appealing that um uh, so we're just waiting to hear back to see if they'll let us get heard at the hearing and uh, put us on the agenda so we're kind of in a holding pattern on that but um mike handled it all in stride you know uh, we didn't really appeal it for mike so much it was more of like it just felt like something needed to change with the rules that it w- you know, just imagine if the UFC didn't want to pay him his win bonus and, and he didn't get that money. Um, he'd be in a tough spot, you know, and, and all because you know, he got wrong. So ideally, you know, we, we put the appeal in more so just to try to make the sport better, try to make it so no one else has to go through that, you know. And um we put up a big enough big enough stink that, you know, the next weekend the same referee actually the the referees in the rules meeting the next weekend in the locker rooms were saying that they could use replay during the fight. So obviously, um it made an impact. And then this week you saw on the UFC broadcast, they were announcing that UFC or that replay was available during fight, even if it's not a fight ending sequence. And they had some light that they could use to indicate. So obviously there's been progress on it already. And, you know, we put up a big enough stink. It was obviously a grand mistake that people were going to talk about it anyway, but then I think we had to do our part by pushing the envelope to the commission side and letting them know that, you know, things like that had to be addressed. And, um, it's it's good, you know, whether or not we win the field or not, it's good to see that the rules active now, you know.
0: Absolutely. And and I think that's a huge major point. Um, you know, is if Mike doesn't get his win bonus, you know, that, that's a lot of money that's being left on the table for essentially something is out of his control. So I, I, I do love that. Um, so let's let's move to the regional scene. You know, how many um current clients do you have with top game management? We have
1: like twenty-eight. I think 28 with like seven or eight, in the UFC, seven in the UFC and uh, one with Bellator. And then a few that are like on options with Bellator and then uh, a bunch of regional guys and girls. So. Absolutely. So, and, it's just, it's and when, like 20, when you're Yeah, uh, and,
0: yeah absolutely. Uh, absolutely. And, and when you're, sc- no, no worries. When you're scouting talent, um, I mean, I'm sure this question could be answered in a million different ways, but when you're scouting talent, what are you looking for? And and is it more of, does a coach call you up? You know, obviously you have great relationships with a lot of gyms around new England. Does a coach call you up and say, I want you to take a look at this guy or girl. Um, is it something that, you know, that you go out and see and, and, and watch, you know, how, how does, how does that come about?
1: It's a mixture of both. I'd say most often it's, I already have a good network of coaches that, trust me, and I manage some of their teammates. So it could be like the teammate saying, hey, you got to check out my teammate. Um, a guy I already managed saying, check out one his teammates. Or it could be a coach I work with and say, hey, I have this new amateur, you got to keep your eye on them." And then for a couple of years, you keep your eye on them, And then they're like, hey, I think they're kind of good to go. And then and then you work with them. And, and sometimes it's seeing someone talented that you're like, hey, like, I like their look, I like the intensity of, of how they fight. And then you start asking questions to their network, like, hey, who's that person? Um, how are they? And then you ask questions, do you think they're next level? And then you kind of keep an eye on them and stuff like that. And then, you know, from there it's, you know, you end up having a conversation with them and their coaches and you see if it's a good fit.
0: Absolutely. And, and, you know, what, what for you is kind of the selling point to go to top game manager. What for you is the selling point for, Hey, Tyson Chartier should be your manager.
1: I just think, you know, we're, we're kind of a small family atmosphere. I think, um, the biggest complaint I hear from athletes is a lot of times the, the fighters I manage have never had a manager. So, you know, they're kind of from amateur up through, you know, or newly pro and they've never had a manager other than me. So they don't really know what to expect. It's more their coach wants me to help them get to the next level and kind of guide them. Um, but when I talk to athletes that are like, you know, either outside this region or have had, dealt with other managers, and the two biggest complaints I hear is that I don't trust my manager. Like, I, I think he lies. And, um, and that I can't get a hold of my manager. And I always tell the fighters, you know, there's two things I can promise. is One, I'll never lie to you, even if it's what you don't want to hear. And two, I'll, I'll be very responsive. If I don't answer, it's because I'm either sleeping and I didn't hear my phone ring. Or I'm doing something with my kids. Or I'm on the mat teaching a class or, or teaching a session. And, but I always get back to you right away. Um, you know, I hear horror stories of guys texting their manager on a Sunday. And then getting a text back on a Thursday night. You know, to, I don't even understand how that works. So, how does that guy your manager if you can't even get a hold of him for four days? But um, yeah, I mean, those are really the, the two biggest things, and I think those aren't big deals until you've had to deal with a manager where it is a big deal. And um, yeah, I mean, it, it's you know, I'm not I'm not the right fit for everybody. No manager is perfect for every fighter, and no fighter is perfect for every manager. So I'm pretty picky with who I work with, and I'd say more often than not, I, I have conversations and I say, hey, I don't think this is a good fit. And and we kind of go different directions. And I'm not trying to have a hundred guys under contract just for FOMO. I'm not like worried about missing out on an opportunity. Oh, that fighter could go to the UFC someday. I should sign him. It's like no. I wanna I wanna work with people that when my phone goes off and it says their name, I get excited, not annoyed. You know, because um, I think some fighters you see them bounce around four or five different managers. They're headaches, and they're just never gonna be happy and. They're going to complain about everything. It's never going to be their fault. So they're going to blame the easiest thing to blame, which would be their manager or their coach, or they're going to change camps or whatever. So I really want to get make sure I understand them on a personal level and, and get to know them and, and make sure they're a good fit culturally with what we're doing and you know my vibe and their vibe and what their expectations are versus what I'm providing. And then, and then we come to an agreement whether or not we think it makes sense.
0: Absolutely. And, you know, I can vouch for that. If I reach out to you over text, I'm definitely someone you could leave on red for four or five days. And, you know, you respond to me right away. So um, if you responded to me right away, you responded to fighters even even quicker, I'm sure. Um, you know, so so when you are, uh, you know, like you said, you have more conversations with fighters that are kind of this isn't a fit. And, and maybe, you know, some head cases, is it easy to tell, um, you know, when a fighter is kind of just doesn't have that fit, it, it, whether it's their head case or, or maybe um, any other reason, is it easy to tell? Um, and, and what are kind of some some signs of that that you see?
1: I mean, I think if the first thing, especially young fighter, if the first thing they're saying is like, oh, I want a manager, I need sponsors. It's like, well, then you don't really get a full package of what a manager does. Like, if you're looking for someone to get you sponsors, just go get, find someone that can give you sponsors, you know? Um, you know, are you looking for someone that's going to guide your career? Like, what are your goals? Like, if they just say, hey, I want to manage, I want sponsors. It's like, all right, I get that. That makes sense. But, you know, what are you, are you looking for someone to help you with your goals? Are you looking for someone to get to the next level? What are your goals? Like, Or or someone that just calls up and says, hey, I want to manage me with sign. And I'm like, no, that's not how it works. Like, I want to test you out, you know. I've had some fun, like guys that are in the UFC that reach out to me, you know, that are in the UFC now. I reach out to me like, hey, I want to talk. And I'm like, oh, I want to I wanna get to know you a little bit first, see if you're a good fit, see what your training, your training schedule is like, see how uh, hard of a worker you are, do some little recon on the side, talk to some of their teammates, such as former coaches and and see if there's any red flags. And then once they kind of pass all the sniff tests, then I try to like slow play it a little bit, get to know them and really make sure that they're not just looking for like a quick favor or something like that. Cause I think a lot of people think, oh, I'm gonna sign with this manager and then they're going to get me to right to the UFC. And, and when it doesn't happen in four months, they they start to complain and they start to look elsewhere. So I really want to make sure that it's a good fit for both ends. And, you know, we kind of qualify each other and, and make sure it's a good fit. But yeah, I mean, there could be tons of red flags, but there could also be no red flags and then it ends up just being personality wise. You don't mesh down the road. And I think we've had a pretty good track record, uh, me and my team of, you know, vetting out people that could be problems down the road or even if they are successful fighting they're just not fun to deal with you know they kind of complain or they represent themselves negatively in a public manner that kind of reflects on you and the rest mm-hmm. of your team so uh, you know we just want to work with good people that you know that way when I get that call from the UFC to say hey we're signing this person I call them and it's like they're crying and I feel like I want to cry and you, you know my wife is excited to see their debut because she sees the progression of those first conversations to then years later they're getting that call from the UFC and then they're making that walk and um, it's a big deal, you know, so, you know, you want to be part of that with people that you believe in and, you know, not jerks or people that are just trying to use you as a stepping stone to get in and then get to someone else. So I don't know if I answered your question, but I kind of. Absolutely.
0: Am. No, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, um, you know, um, and, and I've I've interviewed a ton of your um, top game management fighters and, and maybe this is a uh, question that you're going to plead the fifth on and completely a hundred percent plead the fifth if you have to, is there anyone, you know, you can name just one, you can name three or four or five. Is there anyone that, that you're very, very excited about that you kind of look at, you could say all of them, but is there anyone that, yeah. that you kind of look at and you say, that might be the next Calvin Cater, that might be the next Rob Font.
1: No, I mean, there's never going to be another Calvin Cater and there's never going to be another Rob There, You know, everybody's an individual. And I think that's one thing I try to do good is I don't pull the fighters. Like, it's not like a package deal. Like there's, there's Rob, there's Calvin there's Kyle, there's Mike, like everybody's got their own thing. And I try to make sure that I'm not like, Oh, well, the company's doing good. It doesn't matter. You know, pal, take it on the chin or whoever, you know, it's, it's, I want Kyle to do good. I want Mike to do good. I want everybody to do good individually. Um, I think if you look at it from like a media standpoint, a lot of people are pretty excited about Mitch Raposo, you know, he's five and O now young kid, 21, he's six and O as an amateur. He's never lost a around. Um, you know, he's got all the, you know, he says the right things. He's got a good look. He, he moves well. He's kind of got that TJ Dillashaw style. Um, he's got great coaches, you know, Tommy, uh, Teixeira and Brian Raposo at regiment. Um, you know, he's got, he, he says the right things, you know, when he's, he has a bad day in training or, you know, Rob uh, whoops his ass or something. He's not like making excuses or complaining after he's asking like, what, what can I do better? You know? So he's, he, you know, I think a lot of people are excited about him. Um, Another one is you know Alexandra Ballou. She's one and zero. She's a female. There's you know not a lot of other girls to fight. She came off you know a, a big win in her Bellator debut for to go one and zero pro, and then and then she tore her ACL training for her second fight with Bellator, and she's been off two years now. she just had a fight you know last month that got canceled three days before the before she was gonna go out to Rhode Island, and um, you know we're working on some things with her. You know just a few wins. She's you know she says all the right things. She trains like a professional. She, you know, she quit her other career to train MMA full time when she never even had a fight. So, you know, she's got that hustle. She's got the mindset, and um, she's willing to put in the work. So that's another person that I think, uh, you know, I'm excited about. But once she gets that next win and that next fight, I think people are going to realize, oh, okay, like this is a prospect. Um, I think she's just been out for a while, so people are kind of forgetting about her. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I'm blessed to work with a lot of a lot of young talented fighters and and teams and coaches and. Um, it's exciting to see that journey, you know, like someone like Parker Porter just made his first walk to the UFC when he's been a professional for 15 years now. And the guy fought John Jones in his third Absolutely. or fourth pro fight. Um, so yeah, it's just, it's just all together. Yep. It's just, it's just cool.
0: Absolutely. And that brings us to the end of our second round. Um, just a heads up though, you know, those two, prospects that um, Tyson just named, Alexandra Ballou and Mitch Raposo. You can catch interviews with them on MMAProspects.com. We've done features on both of them. Um, and so that brings us to round three. Um, and, and to jump right off the Alexandra Ballou uh, train right there, I, I actually had a question about her and, um, you know, with her only being 1-0 and kind of having the situation that's occurred where she had a big injury very early in her career. Um, and then, and then COVID hits, we're going to talk about COVID a little later. Um, is there ever a time when that you have prospects kind of text you like may, maybe this isn't working out and and how do you kind of rein them back in? Like, no, trust me, it's, it, you know, it's, this will take time.
1: I don't, I don't ever try to talk someone into, you mean like keep fighting like, Hey, maybe I should go back to work type thing or,
0: Or if if, if it's
1: just kind of like,
0: yeah, just in a situation where, you know, in her situation where injuries, just so much kind of tough stuff has happened early in her career through no fault of her own. So, you know, is there ever a time when a fighter kind of comes to you and says, you know, look at look at everything that's happened and you kind of have to, you know, you know how talented she is and, and, you know, you just spoke so highly of her that you kind of like, no, you know, keep going.
1: Yeah, no I, I think you know, we've had plenty of late night conversations where she calls me emotional and and frustrated with the situation because you know we had put, to put put together a plan really two years ago at this point we put together a plan and we've yet to even fight um, but you know she'll have days where she's frustrated and she'll call me up and, and and you know you feel it and you know should we just tell her how much you believe in her how good she is and you um, know she's not doubting her skills she's doubting this journey and and just how hard it is and you know and 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 you lean on like examples that i've had in my careers. you know this is rob font's third time sitting up for a year you know one of them was a stupid medical thing and Mm -hmm. he was fine another one was a uh, a healthy scratch he just had trouble getting booked and this one he tore his acl so um you know there's you know calvin gator had a three-year layoff in his career so you, you know you look at some of the other guys that we have and he let him lead on that. You know, she reached out to Joe Lozon, talked to him about coming back from the knee injury because he had that earlier in his career. And um yeah, you know, part of being a manager is is almost like being a friend and a counselor and, and just kind of reassuring him that this journey's got a lot of bumps. And it's uh it's not meant to be an easy path that just to glory. Cause if it was, so many more people would do it.
0: Absolutely. And, you know, speak to me, something I want to focus here on round in round three is, um, you know, regional, regional promotions, you know, obviously you've dealt with UFCs, you've dealt with Bellator, you know, you've dealt with the big time shows um, how important is it to have a great relationship with, with a CES and a cage Titans, and, you know, and those regional promotions that essentially are feeding grounds for the UFC, especially what CES has done in the last, you know, few years.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think the next year or two is going to show how important that the local, the local scene really is because, they're they're building the infrastructure, the pipeline for what's next, you know, the next few years, contender series, and then ultimately UFC guys are going to be. Without them, there's no one to pick from. You know, how how are you building a prospect right now that's trying to turn pro? Who's he going to turn pro with? You know, he's going to go over to LFA and turn pro against one of their prospects. Like, you know, it's you have to build a person and you do that locally with a promotion that has their back, like a CES or a, K, a Combat Zone or a Cage Titans or, or you know, someone like that up here in New England or NEF, you know, you got to build them with their promotions. And, you know, there's no, there's no secret to when you go down to New Jersey and fight for CFFC, you're fighting one of their guys. You're probably the B side, but you take it if you think it's a good matchup or whatever. And, you know, there's nothing wrong with them doing that. They should be doing that. They should be, okay, this is our guy. We're going to try to get them some good wins on paper. That makes sense from outside the region and we'll move on. Hopefully someday they'll go to the UFC. And right now, you know, it was awesome that CES was able to do that show last month. But right right now, we don't really have local MMA in the Northeast. And you see a lot of people, you know, getting antsy, getting frustrated. And, um, yeah, I mean, I think there's going to be a lot of people that either just don't fight again or, yeah, I mean, just have a, a year pause on their career, you know. But some of these people are doing the opposite, man. They're taking the bull by the horns and they're using this time to get better. You know and that's what calvin walrus preaches this pandemic hit and we we leveled up and um you know we didn't use that as an excuse to take time off or or, or take our foot off the gas we put the freaking pedal to the metal and i see some of my clients you know some of my athletes that i work with they did that too and they've just been waiting for that call and you know when we finally did get that with ces last month you know we went three and 3 and zero that night and you know eddie george got the two and oh and mitch got the five and zero, and um you know, Chris Mattino got a an amazing win um, against a a really good prospect in Ashii Kajim, was 3-0, and, and he came back from basically it was like the Undertaker dying and then coming back and getting a knockout in the second round. So, you know, people are taking advantage of this, and yeah, I, I love that, you know, the grit and determination to kind of persevere through a little bit of adversity and come back and get a win.
0: Absolutely. And, and like you said, CES 61, such an important show for top game management. You know, when 3-0, and o, Alex, Alexander Baloo was supposed to be on that card, um, that fight fell through. But another thing I've noticed that CES and other other promotions have been doing that um, wasn't the case when I first started getting into MMA is, like you said, it's, it's like CES promotes the New England guys and then they bring someone in. It's not New England versus New England. It's kind of like New England's a little family and they bring other fighters in from other spots to fight. Um how how important is that you know where where fighters are kind of you know cross-training is, is, has been huge lozons. I mean it's almost like every New England fighter trains at least somewhat at, at Losons I mean um just just how important is that family atmosphere of New England
1: Yeah I think it takes uh, all the local coaches putting their egos aside and letting everybody cross-train you know it used to be like don't dare, don't you dare cross-train cuz you're you know disloyal and this and that and our gym's better than theirs and we don't like them and and slowly, you know, as guys, you know, started to get to the UFC, they they needed to cross train, you know, we had to go out and go to other gyms and start getting training with some of their best guys. And then when you build those relationships, then you start to get closer with the coaches. And it takes all of us to get on the same page and say, hey, listen, if I get a legitimate prospect, let's not have them fight your prospect. Let's have them train together and make them both legitimate prospects that can both go to the UFC. And then when they go to the UFC, they could be training partners you know they can just keep helping each other level up but if you have a gym fighter like a guy that's probably never going to realistically go to the ufc like yeah have them fight my my gym fighter and and let's have some fun let them make make a few bucks have some fun and uh sell some tickets and you know and just cross some stuff off a bucket list but yeah i think over the last probably you know i'd say like 10 years you know i've really done everything i can to change the culture and i'm not going to take full credit for it but my mission from day one was to keep the Calvin, Calvin Caters and Rob Bonds away from each other and have them become training partners instead of opponents on the local scene. Um, and I've always said like, if, if if it's required that we have to fight like another UFC level prospect, let's do it from outside the region. You know, we don't have to knock off, you know, my UFC prospect, knock off your UFC prospect to go to the UFC. It's like, no, both you guys should go to the UFC and train and then ultimately train together and just keep help in the, uh, Raising the level of doing MMA as a whole.
0: Absolutely, and and you know um, how how important for you is it to have an amateur career to build off of? I mean, are you a manager and a coach that likes the idea of a, a long amateur career? And by long, I mean you know maybe four, five, six fights. Because you see it so much today, where it's one fight and pro. Um, are you someone that advocates for a longer amateur career and kind of more more learning?
1: I think it's a case-by-case basis. You know, I think um, there's a lot of dem- – a point of diminishing returns, you know, like where, all right, you can have 15 amateur fights, but it's just going to make the start to your pro career that much harder, especially with the topology and all that now. You know, everybody's going to see, wow, we had 15 fights, 10 of them are probably on YouTube. No, let's not fight this kid, you know, because when you turn a pro, you need to get that <clears> – <throat> build up your resume a certain way, and uh, it's going to be hard to do that if you, you know, kind of overdo it on the amateur scene. Because realistically, if you have 10 amateur fights – your first three pro fights are probably easier fights than your last five amateur fights. Cause you're probably fighting for some amateur titles against some studs. And, you know, you look at Mitch Raposo's career, his, he probably had tougher opponents as an amateur than he did as a pro, um, which is, you know, he's fighting, you know, five round main events as an amateur for titles mm-hmm. and different promotions. And then he turns pro and he's fighting the right guys. You know, you're getting some builder fights and you're trying to learn how to finish and you're getting used to the five minute rounds and the different rule set. And, um, so, you know, that was one thing that we had kind of talked about when he was turning pro. His coaches still wanted, you know, some things that he could work on. I'm like, listen, he's going to get plenty of chances to work on this as a pro because we're going to be fighting easier guys. And, um, you know, he's, he's kind of an example of, like, let's say he stayed amateur for four or five more fights and got the 10-0 amateur. Like, not a lot of people trying to fight him in his pro debut.
0: Absolutely. And, and, you know, that, that builds off something else that, you know, is interesting to me how hard it can be sometimes to um, get that fighter to the next level. Um when when you have a guy like Mitchell maybe who who's undefeated and you can see all these fights and all these finishes and suddenly the UFC needs a late uh, you know late late opponent, they're calling you up and they call the opponent and they say, I don't wanna fight this guy, this undefeated guy. I don't want, you know, give me someone else. Is is that something I mean, that you've had to deal
1: with? No, I don't think it's because they're not calling you up asking if you want to fight until they know you'll take the fight. They're taking your name and they're bringing it to the other. Like, if I have a Rob in the UFC mm-hmm. and his opponent pulls out, they're not calling other guys like, hey, do you want to fight Rob? And then they're like, oh, no way. Like, they're calling us and saying, hey, here's three guys. Which one do you want to fight? And then we pick which one we want to fight. And that person always mm-hmm. says yes. You know, so it's there's not a lot of that yeah. that goes on. But, um, yeah, I think if anything, not, that's not really the problem. The problem is, like, just getting the relationship good enough with UFC where, you know, you're a trusted advisor where you're going to get that call in the last minute, you know, or if they need to fight at it mm-hmm. that they do consider you instead of just one of those mega agents that's got like 70 guys in the UFC.
0: Absolutely. And, and last one here for round three, um, you know, h- how important is it? And, and you already spoke about this, you know, that sponsorships are not the first thing you need, but you know, as a manager, How important is it it to get there, you know, once you have a few fights and get that, you know, sponsorship behind that fighter?
1: I mean, most of the time, if you look on the regional scene, there's really not sponsors. It's mostly like, I I call it like charity from within the network. Obviously there's novelties. There's Mm -hmm. guys, you know, come in from the Olympics or something like that. Maybe legitimately have sponsors that actually like pay them a monthly thing or say, Hey, listen, anytime you need to go somewhere and train, just tell me I'll pay for your ticket. You know, that's, that's a supporting sponsor. But for the most part, these are people that are putting their logos on the back of t-shirts to try to just, you know, support a local person that they believe in and, and be part of their journey. Yep. Um, you know, it's, you know, and some, some agents really do focus a lot on sponsors and and they do well. And, uh, you know, I always say my sweet spot is to try to build your resume in a certain way and, and help get you to the UFC so you can last in the UFC is not to put a bunch of logos on your, uh, on your shorts and your banner for a local fight, which there's nothing wrong with that. If you can, Get had a bunch of banner, you know, I would say like Don Shanice was someone, he always hustled locally. Rico DeShula was another one. Rico yeah. DeShula always had a full banner with mm-hmm. a bunch of logos on his shorts. And um like all those were just, it, it, we've had a great network, you know? He had a great network of people around mm-hmm. him that wanted to support him, you know, from the, the pizza shops and PBD where he grew up and stuff like that. So I, I, I don't necessarily know like once, when you're on the local scene, like how important it is, but I do see some guys like, that don't have to work because they got some local support um so they're able to train a little bit mm-hmm. more so i know that's a huge advantage to them but as far as like going out and sourcing those sponsors to try to you know prop up a kid that is still an amateur or on the a low-level local scene um it really is they're, they're only really going to work with that guy because they either know him or his family or he's part of the neighborhood or or something like that i mean mm-hmm. obviously there's exceptions i'm sure people could point those out but for the most part at that level, what they really need is guidance. They need mentoring. They need uh, to take the right fights, and they need the the good direction in terms of, you know, what they should be doing next, and um, you know, coaching on how to, you know, not say anything on social media that could get them, you know, kicked out of fights or being eligible to go to the next level and and stuff like that. I think I think there's just as much, uh, if not more, I would probably believe more. Uh, importance and all that stuff, making them get their resume to the point where the UFC would even say yes, then making sure they have a couple hundred bucks here and there for a local fight. So um, that's just my belief. And I know some people don't really know, go by that uh, belief, but that's just how I've always handled it.
0: Absolutely. And, and I actually love I love that you said that, that, um, you know, the resume builder is more important. And then those, you know, than the names on your shorts. Um, I love that. So that brings us to the end of round three. Let's jump right into round four. Um, Obviously, COVID hit um, essentially stopping and, and, and really still kind of stopping. Um, the local scene, you know, CES just came back with CES 61. There's no um, date or, or, you know, timetable. We know that they want to return again. We don't know when it'll be. Could it be three months? Could it be a month? Who knows? Um, and, and essentially a lot of people and, you know, especially two names that come to mind for me when speaking with them were, you know, Alexander Ballou and, and Eddie George, you know, Eddie George had said, you know, he would never would have thought that he'd still be just one and know walking into uh, the cage, you know, the next time, you know, this summer. Um, or or fall and and you know essentially they're they're putting their careers on pause and just how hard is that? Um, as a coach, as a manager, to kind of, um, just deal with.
1: It's tough. I think, you know, I've been fortunate where for the most part, my my guys and girls have all been pretty laid back about it. They're not like pointing fingers. I mean, you know, no one made COVID happen. It's just something we're all dealing with, and we're all dealing with it in our own certain way, and. I've heard horror stories about, you know, guys getting rid of their managers or changing gyms because of how they handle this stuff. And you know, it's probably not your manager's fight. You know, here's the thing: is like we have a tough spot because like the, the states here in New England aren't as open as some of these other states out west. So, does LFA have a huge advantage over CES right now? Obviously, you know. So, if you're a manager that works closely with LFA, you have a like. A significant advantage over a manager that doesn't have a relationship with lfa because now all your guys are going to stay active they're going to keep fighting and then you're going to fight mm-hmm. always pretty much on the a side which there's nothing wrong with that that's the way it should be you have a relationship so if anybody outside that region wants to come in and fight like if i want to bring a guy out to lfa i know it's probably a tough fight you know and uh depending on how frustrated you are where you're at in your career you might have to roll that de- roll the dice sometimes on those or or you just be patient and keep training and You know, but let's focus. And I see some managers using that to recruit. They're like, oh, look at us. We keep our guys busy. COVID didn't affect us. It's like, all right, cool. COVID didn't affect you, but that's just because the promotion that you do business with is still doing shows. So don't act like it's because you're a better manager. Like if CES was doing two shows a month, I guarantee you my guys would all be fighting multiple times this year already. And their guys would be fighting when I chose to fight them. Mm -hmm. So I'm not, you know, ignorant enough to, you know, think that I'm doing a bad job because some of my guys aren't staying as busy. When the reality is, it's like the promotions that I do business with and that I partner with just uh, the states aren't allowing us to do shows. So we're kind of on pause. And, you know, it's forced us to look a little bit out um, at some other stuff and, um, you know, some other promotions and see, you know, what directions we can go with some of these younger fighters that don't have the time to pause, um, you know, for another six months or so. So, you know, it's forcing us to kind of pivot a little bit. But, um, at the end of the day, like COVID is COVID, you know, it's like, there's nothing we can really do about it. We just have to kind of react to it. And I think we're at that point where with a few of our fighters, we got some, some things in play that are coming out soon that I think will, uh, that'll be exciting for them and their career. And I think it'll just keep the, you know, the momentum going and then, and kind of help just push us to that next level, which is where they want to be.
0: Absolutely, and, and like you said, COVID obviously isn't something that, you know, um, it, it is, it like like you said, um, Calvin Cater said, it's just the time to get better, you know, it, not many people can fight right now, and you know, once um, CS 61 came back, obviously three top game management fighters are on it, um, that just kind of showcases how talented some of your New England fighters are, and I mean, it must feel special too after that pause, and, and you know, guys like Eddie George, who have wanted to get get back in there um get that mullet back going in the cage and, and and get three you know be 3-0 on the night
1: yeah it was a great night man and then the following night i had cameron Lachnov fight fighting Baltimore, so we went 4-0 in two days it was it was awesome man. absolutely was, yeah you know we've been fortunate enough to still have a busy year with the ufc and you know keep keep me busy but you know my local guys just haven't been able to be busy and so it was it was almost a little nostalgic getting to uh go to a CES show and spend, you know, a few days with uh, Nick Newell and Eddie George in the hotel and, and go out there and see all those guys fight. And um, yeah, man, it was, it was an awesome night. I'm really, I'm grateful that CES figured it out and, um, you know, went to bat for us and, and was able to get some of these guys busy.
0: Absolutely. And, and, you know, something that, that I think um, is very interesting is obviously you coach and manage and, and, you know, like you said, Rob Font and Calvin Cater are really the only guys that you kind of coach, you know, solely. So when you're, when you're managing these fighters as a guy who knows the sport very well and coaches, you know, two very high-level UFC talents, you know, is there ever a time when you kind of have – is it hard to stay out of the coach's way, in a sense, um, with some prospects?
1: Not really. I mean, I get um, – you know, I got a lot of tremendous respect for – the coaches that they work with because the reality is like if i signed you then that means they were doing something right right like mm-hmm. even if you're a great fighter if you had crappy coaches that i couldn't stand i probably wouldn't want to sign you because that would be a red flag You'd Be like well, i don't want to deal with your team so like if you're on my roster i signed you i signed off on you and this was your coaching staff and um and i respect that and uh if they ask me i'll tell them my opinion but if they don't ask me i keep my opinion to myself and um, if a fighter calls me and they're upset about something, I think, you know, I help them navigate and and I have good relationships with their coaches to make sure that we're making the necessary changes. And I understand that sometimes I have my coaching hat on and sometimes I have my manager hat on and I have to be really respectful of those lines. Um, you know, it can get hard sometimes if I'm just cornering as a manager, like I'm the third guy because I'm there and and I want to yell, but I'm like, I don't know, their coaches. But if they ask me to yell, if their coaches ask <laughs> me to yell, I'll So, um, Yep. You know, I, I think if I didn't respect the coaching staffs that I worked with, that I, I, I it would be a lot harder. But for the most part, I think it's, you know, you're going to have a good relationship with the coaches and we have to be a team. Like they have to be, you know, because there's going to be times where the athletes are frustrated with the coaches and they might call me and complain, but I, I'm i also a coach, so I get it, you know? So i say, hey, listen, like, well, have you thought <laughs> of this? And then I try to like make them see the full picture, you know? And like, oh yeah, I didn't think of it that way. And I'd hope that if sometimes if they're calling their – you know, their coach complaining about something I said that their coach has my back and, and says, yeah, but what do you expect them to say? Like, it's not his fault that this promotion is not having a show, you know? Um, so I think it, it just becomes about, you know, proper communication, communication, respecting boundaries and, um, trusting that they have the skills to get them to where they need to go.
0: Absolutely. and, and, and you know, I'm sure Like like we said before, you know, Joe Lozon obviously is kind of the center of the New England fighting universe. Um, I'm sure he is someone that you have a ton of respect for and vice versa for you Um, because he's a coach you have to deal with a lot. A lot of your uh, top game management guys train at Lozon's all the time.
1: Yeah, we we cross train quite a bit there and, um, you know, me and him, you know, I've been on flights with him to Argentina, to Korea, you know, all over the You know, he's uh, someone I, I, you know, I respect tremendously and it's um, I would like traveling with him and me and him, you know, we don't always agree on everything. You know, we'll we'll have disagreements on things, but we talk it out. And, um, you know, I have a healthy respect for him and I think he has a healthy respect for me. And, um, you know, it's so with me and him, most of our interaction is based around Mike Rodriguez. And, you know, I think if you look at Mike Rodriguez, he's doing amazing right now. Yeah. He did that kind of that bullshit. Like, um you know replay issue against Ed Herman. But before that he came off yeah, a great yeah. win and and before that, you know, he just got caught in that fight in Blue Sun and it happens, you know, he get a straight left to the mouth, knocked three of his teeth out. And um, you know, that's gonna happen in fights. You know, you're fighting at two oh five heavyweight, the guy some guys sometimes the guy who lands flushly first wins, you know? Um so I think he's done a lot Absolutely. to uh, you know turned his career around and and now he's a legitimate like prospect in that division so um yeah i think we've done a a good job together tag team and mike and um you know it's cool like you know because when i first started watching mma i remember watching joe's uh ufc debut against sense pulver and i was like oh there's a little skinny guy with the big ears you know and then now it's you know we're collaborating on fighters and and helping the next generation of fighters get you know get to that next level and accomplish their goals so it's you know, it's definitely fun. You know, you get to work with a bunch of amazing people like Joe and and, and some of the other coaches. So it's definitely, mm-hmm. definitely rewarding.
0: Absolutely. And, and quickly to close out round four, I want to talk, uh, touch on Devin Powell just got announced for his fight at Bellator. Um, You know, he has, when I spoke with him before, or, or really at the beginning of COVID, he, you know, he, he really wanted to fight in Bellator. He's back, um, against the guy that he told me that he wanted to fight, you know, six months ago. Um, and, and you know, he t- told me that this is another one fight deal. And he really hopes that this um, win gets him to that multi-fight deal with Bellator. Um, h- how good does it feel for a guy like Devin Powell, who owns his own gym? You know, he's been in the UFC, he's fought in Bellator, but, you know, they haven't given him that multi-fight deal yet. But, he, ha- you know, when he fought in Bellator for his debut, it's, uh, amazing, you know, put the guy to sleep. I mean, so how good does it feel to get a guy like Devin Powell back in there?
1: Yeah, I feel you know relief, you know, because he kind of had that big win. We thought it was going to open up some more doors, and and it didn't. And um, now we get a chance, you, know, you know, another chance. And um, you know, Manny's coming off a win. With, I didn't think he won, but he's coming off that win against Nick Newell, and um, so he's got a bit of clout mm-hmm. internally with Bellator. And so if we go out, we put us off to him, and I think we're in a good spot. You know, we we, we pushed for a multi-fight deal on this one, and the, and the feedback was kind of, "Hey, you know, go beat this kid. And you're in a good spot." And um, hopefully, you know. Mm-hmm. Devin can go out there and show a little bit more of his jiu-jitsu and um, just get a good finish. Get in, get out. You're not getting paid by the minute. Just go in and get a finish. It doesn't matter if it's a choke or a kick. A win's a win. And, and mm-hmm. you know, and hopefully we can talk about a multi-fight deal. So, um, yeah, I'm super excited to see him back in there. And um, I think last fight, everybody finally got to see just how good he was on the ground. And I was like, his jiu is. And no mm-hmm. one really saw that in the UFC because he was always trying to be exciting and kind of bang and he fell down that rabbit hole. So I think now, um, you know, I think he's a more cerebral, smarter fighter now, he's um, he's in a good position right now. So I'm excited about him getting that opportunity. Mm-hmm.
0: Absolutely, it'll be fun to see him back in the cage.
1: So that ends round four for us. Let's jump
0: into round five, five minutes um, on more of the fun stuff away from fighting. Um, you know, so I, I started, uh, before we started recording, I told you how I loved the Movember mustache. You said the wife hates it. Um, you know, uh, it, it is for Movember, right?
1: I, I, didn't, I realized that I just kind of mustache, shaved my beard, left my mustache to piss off my wife, <laughs> And then I was kind of like, all right, I'm wearing a mask every time I go out anyway. So it's kind of funny. And now I'll just keep exactly. from now exactly. I it from got Yeah, I call it my camp beard. First I had my camp mustache. I had my COVID beard for a while where, you know, we were in camp with Jeremy Stevens and I just didn't shave the whole camp right until five weeks. So we'll see, uh, we'll see how long I can keep this one going before the wife divorces me. <laughs> Absolutely. Um,
0: and so, you know, uh, someone that trains, uh, the, that's over at Lausanne's um, and, and works with CES, Nick Haler, he, he had tweeted out that he wanted to know about the fanny pack um, that you're always wearing with the New England cartel. I believe it was on the cover of the, you know, the magazine, you guys were just on, you were in the fanny pack. Um, so, I mean, tell us about the fanny pack.
1: Yeah. So it was just Calvin got like, I don't know, like three or three years ago, maybe um, for Christmas, he just bought me a fanny pack. And I was like, I don't know if he's being a dick or if he's just like some I always joke around. I said he regifted. Someone got him one. He just gave it to me. But he swears he went out on yep. his own and bought me a fanny pack, which I, I, I don't really know why he would do that at the time. Mm-hmm. I didn't wear fanny packs. So then I decided to wear it. I was like, this is kind of convenient. I were running. And then we went, um, I think it was, we went overseas for a fight and, um, I was worried about getting mugged or something. So I was like, I'll wear a fanny pack. And then I was like, wow, this is very handy. Mm-hmm. So, um, You know, you keep your phone in it, you keep a charger in it, you keep uh, your room key, your wallet, and everything's right there. And um, so, finally, now it became a thing. Like, every time I do a UFC fight week or a fight night, even locally, I I wear a fanny pack, and it's just super, super convenient. Um, You know, sometimes I wear it at home, just depending on if I don't have shorts with pockets on them or something like that. But, yeah, man, fanny packs, I don't do it to look good. Anytime I say, if I'm traveling for a fight, I'm there to work, So it's not about me trying to look like cool or anything like that. So it's just, it's all about function. Yep.
0: And i mean, he's I'm not going to lie. You kind of just wife, sold me. I his think. wife wears <laughs> one
1: too. You know, his wife wears one too. So <laughs> we always joke about that. We took, we took pictures, me, Jake and uh, and her in the locker room. We took a picture on that last one. So Nick likes to think he's just mad that he can't pull it off as good as me and his wife can. Uh,
0: I'm sure, I'm sure you can. And honestly, you kind of just sold me on it. I mean, the, the idea of the phone, the charger, everything right there, you know, not not bulky in the pockets. That's awesome. So my last thing for you is, um, you know, when I, when I last spoke to you, you guys talked about um, getting on the sidelines of the New England Patriots, obviously with COVID going on, um, it may have to wait, but um, as the Patriots right now are two and five, are you, are you worried? And, and, you know, is it, is it still trust trusting Bill or is it a mistake to let go of Tom Brady?
1: I mean no one's ever going to say it's good to get rid of tom brady like i don't think anybody was saying that yeah you trust in bill you trust in tom um i think it's still to be determined you know we're, we're two and what two and five now um mm-hmm. things could turn around it doesn't look like they're going to but you know at the end of the day like for this whole thing like the last you know 15 20 years everybody's been talking oh you're a bandwagon fan you're a bandwagon fan. no I used to watch the Patriots with my dad when they were like two and fourteen every year, and the only game that mattered was when we played Dan Marino and the Dolphins. So, I watched mm-hmm. all the games back then. I watched all the games through the buds, Bled- the what Grogan and Bledsoe and Flutie and all those guys, and then and then we have Brady, and we've been very very spoiled since we've had Brady and Belichick.
0: Absolutely. And now
1: it's, it's this a little taste of what real football is like. You know, it's kind of and it's exciting mm-hmm. in a different way, like some sort of comical. Like, it sucks seeing them lose, but it is kind of funny watching us just, like, give games away. And then it's, like, so bad that you can't be mad, but kind of just (laughs) go again, you know? And it's, like, you kind of – Yeah, exactly. Hey, we're not Browns fans, though, you know? Like, they'll they'll figure out a way to mess that one up, too.
0: Absolutely. But,
1: you know, it is what it is. We got to rather focus on the negative. You know, those guys gave us six Super Bowls. How many times we in the AFC Championships? Like, 12? Um you even more than that we won the division almost every year but one since tom's been there so you know we've had a lot of great years a lot of yeah. great memories and um people will be talking about these next 20 years these last 20 years for like just like they talk about the steelers in the 70s you know or the the um the 49ers in the 90s so or uh yeah i mean i'm not down on it i appreciate everything they did it'll be interesting to see if we do anything tomorrow at the trade deadline or uh if um you know, we just kind of pack it in this year or whatever, you know, who knows? Like it'll be interesting to see how the the rest of the year and then the off season plays out.
0: Absolutely. We, we, as new England fans have been spoiled for 20 plus years. And I think it is time uh, to be spoiled by the new England cartel. I think their dynasty is next Tyson. I thank you very much for being the debut episode of coach's corner. I appreciate it very much, my friend. And uh, thank you. and, And I look forward to seeing more fighters in action interviewing more of your fighters because you know it's one of my favorite things to do
1: awesome man i appreciate it good luck with everything
0: thank you man